0: Welcome to the Freedom Fridays podcast with me your host Pete Clark, the Whispers Guy. Work seems to expand to the time that we give it and I've been investing my time occasionally on a Friday to explore how we use our time, our energy, our attention and the impact it has on our identity. I've been exploring over season one some of the mindset shifts in the handcuffs of i have to to the freedom of i choose to and i've shared some conversations some tips some tools about how you might want to invest your own time your own energy your own attention how you might want to if you choose to make some changes to your identity how you might have freedom from i have to and design a life around i choose to if that's of interest to you then this is the podcast for you in season 2 I'm going to be exploring some experts and asking them what freedom means for them and trying to help people work to live and not live to work. Trying to help people add life to their years and not just years to their life. So let's dive on in and here's season two. Welcome to this week's episode of Freedom Fridays. Um, My guest this week is Karen Ferrell Rhodes. Uh, Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, Karen, depending on where you're based.
1: Good evening. I'm based in Atlanta, Georgia, so it's evening right now.
0: Wow. See, one of the benefits of, of the internet, being able to do this all around the world.
1: That's true. That's absolutely right. Uh, I just got off of a call not to, uh, yesterday with someone from um, Australia, so, okay.
0: yeah. <laughs> yep, for those listening, I'm recording this in Sydney, and here we have thousands of miles away, Karen, yeah. in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Um, Karen, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I know that you are an author. You are the founder and CEO of Shockingly Different Leadership, which I'm intrigued about the, the genesis of the title and the reaction it gets. Um, But before we maybe get into that, I'm I'm going to start with the question that I often start with, and given this is about Freedom Fridays, in the work that you do with the clients and the customers and the CEOs and the leaders that you work with, what does freedom mean for them?
1: That's a great question. And I'm, I'm sure you can appreciate it. It differs and varies a little bit based on the individual themselves. But if yeah. I had to identify just a bucket that yep. I would put all of their fears in, it would probably be um, the fear of having um, imposter syndrome. Okay. Which is you know all about they're just not sure of their next step or they're unsure if they have the capabilities to do what's in front of them. And it's amazing how many leaders um, you would think have it all together, but a lot of them really suffer from imposter syndrome.
0: Yeah, that's that, that, that's been my experience too. It's, and it's amazing for me to even think that people think leaders have got it all sorted. Okay. When you and I both know almost, I can't think of any leader that I've ever worked with that doesn't have some imperfection.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I think almost,
0: the, the presence of imperfection doesn't get in the way
1: it does get in the way what I've seen and you might have to correct me if you've seen something different people but it, it doesn't get in the way publicly but behind the scenes it does get in the way of how they plan their next move or the next action that they do that affects you know whatever they're working on
0: right And can you maybe, without revealing any confidence, can you expand a little bit on how specifically it gets in the way? Do they falter? Do they go slow? Do they make the wrong choices? How does it get in the way?
1: Yeah. Well, if they're they're not very astute and really test out their assumptions or uh, getting more data to make a better calculated risk decision, Mm -hmm. um, then it does trans higher into um, their actual, you know, performance and what they're doing. Um, But if they're astute enough to try to get as much information and data to make a good decision, um, usually those are the ones that, you know, end up surviving, if you will.
0: Right, okay. And -hmm. I know that you've done some research uh, into this, which I'm going to touch on in a second. Broadly, was there any, did you notice any pattern differences between age tenure gender location sector were there any obvious pattern differences
1: yes to all of the above <laughs> <laughs> right. um, because it's the whole uh dynamic in the uh-huh. workplace or the work world um, that caused the variation mm-hmm. um so yes you saw a lot of different things and you could Lump it together, you know, a lot of times based on one of those demographic items that you mentioned. Um, For instance, in financial services, you know, I see a lot of leaders struggle with how, um, you know, formal and the rules of the road kind of in Wall Street and what have you, compared to what a lot of other companies are, uh, leaders are experiencing now with more relaxed and agile and flexible um working environment so yeah it's it's a little bit of everywhere
0: (laughs) yeah sure okay um i I am going to come back because i'm i'm intrigued shockingly different leadership (laughs) yeah how did you come about the name and and is it just a marketing tool or are you and how specifically are you shockingly different i'm intrigued (laughs)
1: depends upon the day, right, that we do uh, strive to what we call provide shockingly different results, meaning over and above your expectations for whatever, you know, people initiative that you're tackling. So, Mm -hmm. um, but um, it is a combination of where our passion and root started Uh as well as, to be honest with you, it it does help with marketing. A lot of people want to know or meet or talk to us to see what in the heck is going on.
0: Yeah, it's a good hook. Yeah. How would you say, apart from results, are you shockingly different in any other ways?
1: Well, we really try to meet our clients where they are, um, which is a lot different than some of your more established or larger um, consulting firms, you know, your McKinsey's and things of the world. We we don't have a cookie-cutter approach. Mm. We get in there. no matter how messy it is, and then work with um, them to help us decide where we want to target and how we're going to do it. Yeah. So we hope, by uh, um, you know, going above and beyond and striving to differentiate ourselves uh, at every level of service, uh, hopefully they will get those shockingly different results.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and are you shockingly different, Karen?
1: <laughs> Some days I am actually. <laughs> The evening time on the East Coast, not as much so. So, uh, right. <laughs> uh, but I will say that um, one of the reasons behind the term um, was because I built the last half of my corporate career around being um, a leader for key talent or high potential talent. At, you know the um the slogan varies based on, you know, what company you're working in, yeah. but these, you know, generally were individuals that were in the top three to 5% of recognized leaders at the organization. They were kind of your cream in the crop, those that, you know, the company's hopes were on. And, um you know, even when you're successful, you still need ongoing development to kind of prepare you to the next step. So,
2: mm-hmm
1: having made a name in, in my circling world around dealing with these top performing leaders that also help with uh, the name thinking about yeah. you know shockingly different we're shockingly different we need to be shockingly different to support you and your different leaders
3: you know <laughs> yeah yeah um,
0: it's, it's intrigued me over the years because like you said there's many different names and acronyms used for high potential people yeah. leaders. <laughs> Um, I'm intrigued because I'm a firm believer in the self-fulfilling prophecy. So what happens if I'm not quite a high potential leader yet? My my talent and potential is latent and unobserved and unseen and hidden. For whatever reason, imposter syndrome, haven't had the opportunity, I'm this age, this gender, this pro this this location. How do I? break through that to be seen as someone with high potential
3: Yeah, that's a
1: great uh question um and that's actually what the genesis of my book was about i didn't know if you wanted to just go into that research but that was how that was the basic question that we were trying to solve in our research okay so would you like me to share yeah pieces sure pieces yeah
0: partly? please yeah i, I believe yeah. you're an author and the book was called uh, leading <laughs> at the top of your game
1: yes Yes, and um, you were spot on that the the core question that we were trying to solve were what did these top leaders do so differently that differentiated them from the other ninety five percent of the population? What did they do, um, act, know, blah blah blah? And so we um, actually mm-hmm. surveyed and um, and did validation research with over ten thousand. High potential employees in organizations. These are people that their uh, leaders have designated them as, you know, being on succession slates and being, you know, next in line for promotions. Those kind of individuals. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, long story short, uh, we s- surveyed to try to get to the meat of what types of actions that they do. Long story short, uh, we had identified over a hundred actions but what was interesting uh, was there uh, as a clear line of separation in the top seven that were fleshed out and what was more interesting about the top seven is that they applied no matter um, industry or job function or what have you wow. and so these are the seven that now um, our firm here at SDL has made part of our signature leadership program and we um teach their tactics their behaviors um more than just leadership theory
0: okay and so I you have can... a you have a your own magnificent 7 <laughs>
1: I do, I do, yeah. and I'll just quickly run down them because they're not brain surgery type of
0: things. Yeah, you know, no, I, I was good. I was good. I didn't want to put you under pressure. Although I'd expect you to know <laughs> what the seven are, I, I'd, I'd be intrigued because maybe that's the next part of our conversation. What, what are the the top seven tactics?
1: Okay, so the top seven tactics. Uh, these means elite leaders did that really impacted the success of their efforts. The first one was that they led with what we call intellectual horsepower. Okay. So intellectual horsepower is all about using your area of expertise to spot trends that others miss. So yeah. they were able to bring something to the table that most individuals missed or didn't know or recognize in an yeah. organization. Yeah. The second one um, is called leading with um, courageous agility. Mm-hmm. And that is all about just having the courage to stand up for you, what you believe in, even if you're unsure of what's going to be next or how the reactions of individuals are going to be. Mm-hmm. So if they were successful, if they were successful in leading, leading, with courageous agility, they usually won the buy-in of others that they were trying to talk to and influence. Mm-hmm. The third tactic that they use is they led with strategic decision making, which is just mm-hmm. what it sounds like. They either made good decisions themselves or they led a good decision-making process.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The fourth one, um, they led with entrepreneurship. Okay. So similar to entrepreneurship, but entrepreneurship is that where they uh, made improvements to the product services um, of the organization with the internal infrastructure. So they were able to use the company's assets to help improve products and services and processes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The fifth one, um, they led with a drive for results, which Mm -hmm. means what it is. They just were tenacious um, about uh, getting to their goals, uh, even if there were pivots, of course, corrections along the way. The sixth one, they led with executive presence, which is really more about being able to make clear and convincing um, perspectives or arguments to influence others. And the last one is they led with what we call stakeholder savvy. And that's all about making the interpersonal connections to deepen trust and be able to move things forward. So those oh. were the seven, intellectual horsepower, courageous agility, strategic decision-making, entrepreneurship, drive for results, executive presence and stakeholder
0: savvy. Wow, it sounds like they should be doing an audition for the new Avengers movie.
1: I know, right? <laughs> They were superstars all around. Yeah. Uh, but what I will share, what was interesting, is that um all seven are equally important, but you would lead with um, a deep knowledge in that area based on what you were challenging. So it's, you know, one point you might be presenting an idea to the C-suite. That's when your executive presence kick in. Other times you, you might wanna get other people on board who disagree with you. That's when your stakeholder savvy kicks in. So you pull the different levers, if you will, or use the different tactics based on what challenges you're facing. Sure. Yeah.
0: Intriguing, thank you for sharing that.
1: Oh, um, sure, I hope that wasn't too much. I, I didn't worry. No, no, no,
0: but I, I, if, if it's okay, I'm just gonna you know double click on a couple of them. Sure. Um, you said that they were all equal. And Equal
1: in use- importance. So one's not more um, valuable than another, but they right. do all help you differentiate yourself when you're leading any kind of leadership effort.
0: Sure. And did you find that any of those particular tactics they had inherently they brought with them and which ones did they have to build and grow and develop? Because I'm going to guess that they just didn't show up with all of this at the same time.
1: Now, that's interesting that you say that. Actually, yes, they do. Everyone has the ability to do all seven of them. But your your level of acumen in carrying it out based on what you're facing is different. And so um, one of the things that we offer even in our leadership training program, um, based on the research, we actually created the diagnostic where we, uh, people can take the assessment and see their level of acumen in each of the seven. So, um, you know, you but everyone has the innate ability and capability to do all of them. Because remember, these are just tactics or actions or behaviors that are done.
0: Sure, yeah. so, so I get, that leads me down to my, I guess, exploration around, you know, the self-fulfilling prophecy. If, if everyone's got the innate ability why does it show up in some and not in others?
1: That's a great question. Um, And once again, I think the answers are quite varied Um, from some, they struggle with knowing how to Uh uh, do them and show up. And um, there is a concept called um, the exit principle, which is uh, without boring your audience. It really means that as once you get to a point that You don't have enough expertise to move you forward or struggle, you know, if you're struggling with it, then you're going to leave and look for greener pastures, right? So, um, what I was, um, oh, I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Tell me your question one more
0: time. I was interested in you said that everyone has the innate ability or capability to demonstrate these seven behaviors, whatever you might call them. If that's the case, given the self-fulfilling prophecy, what prevents some people from not showing them or not demonstrating oh, yeah. them?
1: Yes, and I was just saying that either not knowing how to do it or uh-huh. struggling and just giving up. Um, right. Uh, it, I just I don't think that uh, it's correlated to their desire to do well. They just you know just struggle of not knowing next steps and not having resources to find the information for next mm-hmm. steps.
0: Mm-hmm. I know that you you did this research on the kind of top three or four percent and these mm-hmm. were the factors that came out as equitable that seemed to differentiate them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm assuming that there was some tenure involved with these leaders they probably weren't brand new graduates and so did your research explore how they came to that place how did they get to the point where they were strong enough? It was visible enough. It was demonstrable enough that they could say, I've got executive presence. I'm strategic decision maker. I'm guessing it didn't just have, they weren't born like that.
1: (laughs) Well, that's, well, let me go back. Let me correct something. So um, actually, we did survey individuals at different career stages. So from early career right after university, all the way up through um, the C-suite directs. Under yeah. the, the next level under the CC. So we did have different career stages that we we um, surveyed. And not surprising, as you can probably imagine, those that were more early in their career weren't quite as sharp or didn't know as much of what to do than your tenured individuals kind of at your director or VP levels, right? Yeah. So, um Everybody, as I mentioned, has the some sort of ability. It might be might be slight, but everyone has the ability to do all seven. Mm-hmm. And then we level uh, measured the level of acumen in all seven and tied them into leadership competencies that you know most companies use. Um, you know when they're evaluating their people. Sure. So uh, there, there is a master connection to everything.
0: So I'm interested, in maybe tapping into your experience, then Karen. Um, If I came to you as a a junior exec and, you know, I'd read your book and went, I want to develop these seven. Um, I'm pretty okay on intellectual horsepower. I'm okay with strategic decision making, but I'd like to become more stakeholder savvy. Yes. How would I
3: go about that?
1: Yeah. So uh, we have a whole um, development area for each um, process and tools for each of these seven so for stakeholder savvy, for instance, um, it depends upon, um, what aspect that you're trying to sharpen. It can, and things that can support you can be anywhere from, um, emotional intelligence training all the way through, you know, body language, uh, training or communication skills, or, you know, it just depends upon what area that we've identified that you may want to double down on. Hmm. But the basic of having stacks, Um, stakeholder savvy, is being very observant and astute about the uh, manner, perception, perspectives, values of the people that you're talking to, so that you can um, reciprocate, if you will, um, to deepen that relationship and deepen that conversation. So um, we have a whole, you know, development workshop on each one of those seven that we um, do as part of our development experience.
0: Sure, and how would I choose?
1: Well, that's when you would take the assessment, and we would <laughs> see, which is the ones we should target based on uh, your results. and then that's where we would start. Now, realistically, you should always be nurturing all seven to you know build your acumen in all seven. but um, you can't do them all at once. It's to go really deep. And so that's where you know individual group coaching or um, self-study comes in
0: sure
3: mm-hmm.
0: what one of the uh comments i get from the clients i work with here
3: mm-hmm.
0: is uh, what look i'd love to you know grow i i'd love to develop myself i'd love to get some coaching i'd love to do you know, xyz yeah. don't have the time i've got a job to do right you know bau I, i'm just smashed with priorities after priorities after priorities yeah so how do you reconcile, how, do you, how would you help me reconcile your comment that, well, you have to nurture all seven when I'm already working, you know, eight till eight? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, and I'm in a global firm, which means I'm taking calls at midnight because I'm in the US and they're in, you know, Australia. And I've got a European colleague and an Asian colleague, you know, how do you help someone reconcile the need to work on all seven when I'm already full?
1: Well, remember I said you can prioritize based on your results out of the diagnostic. So the areas that you have scored the lowest in, or have um, in the acumen, then maybe that's the one, or one or two, but depending upon your bandwidth, that you go deep on. And um, I have a tool that's part of our um, our coaching approach, where we actually work on a real world business challenge that they're experiencing in their role right now. And as we work it through with them through their their coaching sessions, we talk about how they can be more effective in those areas that they wanted to develop. So we work it with them as they're going through a real world challenge. And most people leaders have something on their (laughs) docket that they're really working through that they could use a you know, coaching on. And so, you know, that's how we um, bring it to life for them.
0: Sure. and no, am no doubt. I, I'm going to be a little bit skeptical and play back what I think some clients would say, certainly the clients I work through. That's all good and well, Karen. That's lovely. I don't have the time.
1: And you know what, sometimes if you're not, don't have that bandwidth and the time to dedicate towards development, And investing in yourself at that point in time, I think it's totally fine because you have to have self-care. There's some times when individuals aren't able to Mm. uh, because life comes along. But when and if you're able to find the bandwidth and you're willing to tackle maybe at least one, then I'll be here for you. And so
3: it's okay.
0: Hmm. Is there an X factor? Well, it's 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 interesting. All these are pretty, I guess, visible. And I'm wondering if at the highest level of performance, there's an X factor. You know, sometimes when people get jobs or they don't get jobs, we know Mm -hmm. we can't quite articulate what it is. But there's something Mm -hmm. different about Karen compared to Pete. Karen just has something about her that just elevates her a bit more than what we observe in peach she's got the x factor and it's called the x factor because we can't articulate it and i don't know whether that's because we can't articulate it or we just don't know how to is is there any element of these top three four five percent having some sort of x factor
1: You know, I did not research that to be honest with you, Pete. So I don't, you know, I'm not going to make up a, you know, an answer for oh, that. Well,
0: I'm, I'm interested in your gut feel, but your experience, you got yes, tons of experience. I was
1: about to say I can give you the Karen's perspective after. Yeah, that's what I'd like. This. Yeah. Um, I do think there's an X factor, and okay. I think it's very tough, as you have already defined, that to articulate it. There are just some individuals that are able to put together all the savvy and acumen that they need at any point in time on on a consistent basis to really bring things to life and that is the type of individual that folks are saying gosh pete is you know the bomb he's so wonderful um but they wouldn't feel comfortable probably sitting down and writing a list of adjectives about you they just know you know you're it's the same way pete that when you go to any kind of conference or what's and you have a speaker up there you probably know in five minutes or less whether they're going to be a great speaker or not or they're going to appeal to your style of speaking Mm. Um, it doesn't take you 45 minutes to realize whether you like them or not and i think that's similar with um you know true leaders Mm. they just do
3: that x factor
0: yeah Mm. you You said that you met you. You researched the top three or four um, percent,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and these were the well. What
1: teams. the companies designated were their top yeah. The 3. companies designated
0: yeah. Um, <laughs> were there were there any outliers?
1: As far as uh, that didn't meet the seven.
0: Yeah, that didn't meet the seven, or that weren't high potential. That did. I'm just interesting. Any of the outliers? Yeah. If there were there any outliers?
1: There are people that I would call on the bubble there are oh, the bubble, okay. that um exhibited a lot of the behaviors and had it scored high on acumen but for some reason it didn't come together or they still weren't um prioritized or ranked higher than others um there were some definite out you know outliers. there are also to be honest with you i mean these are approaches or tactics these are the what we were trying to um, share with others but to your point there are individuals that are identified as really high potential organization but don't have the passion or don't want to do what's expected for whatever reason yep. and they're not identified in that top three to five that we
0: would have um done for this research um and i yeah so anywho, yeah and were there were there any um any of the top people that you researched Mm
3: -hmm. did they
0: have imposter syndrome but were able to navigate it and address it and dilute it or did they just not have imposter syndrome
1: you know, it's a lot of both, um, probably 60-40, uh, meaning okay. 60 had some level of imposter syndrome. Yeah. Most of them, to be honest with you, it wasn't paralyzing, and it couldn't be for them to reach yeah. the level of recognition um, that they've experienced. Um, but everyone had some sort of uncertainty about you know, themselves.
0: And have you noticed, and those that had it, have you noticed any pattern? Is it an age thing? Is it a gender thing? Is it a location thing? Is it a circle thing?
1: It was equal across the board. Everybody had something that that was um, the gremlin that's talking in their other ear. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Were you able to understand some of the sources of that?
1: Uh, You know... And I know you're hating me saying this all the time. It just depends upon the person. (laughs) Sometimes there were, you know, family pressures and and things and values that they brought up with that they were trying to prove something different. Um, Others, um, you know, it might have been a workplace leader that they're trying to impress or or they got a bad... um, you know, performance review or feedback and that's gotten to their heads. It just differs based mm. on the individual. Mm.
0: Yeah. That's always the answer when you talk about humans, isn't it? It depends.
1: Yeah. What have you seen? I'm curious, um, what have you seen in that realm?
0: Well, uh, what I've seen is sadly, it's more prominent in women.
1: Mm. I didn't see that. We didn't that didn't come out as significantly statistically different. Right. But I, I can maybe understand um, um, amongst your clients, you know, that was prevalent.
0: Yeah, and there's a little bit of research and it's pretty well documented. You know, a job ad comes up and if there's 10 characteristics and a man has six of them, they'll go, I'll be fine. Yeah. And if a woman the has, has eight problems, of them, they'll go, yeah. oh, I'm not I'm not ready for it yet. Right,
1: right, some do.
0: Which is, which is quite sad, really. <laughs>
1: It is very sad. And I think that's why you'll see so many, um, you know, especially groups or networks or development opportunities just for women, you know, so they can Mm. help tackle that. Mm. Do
3: you think that's a good thing?
1: I do. I think it's a good thing, but I think it's great in combination with uh, more broader type of development experiences because we, we live in a world together. Yeah. you know and so it's not going to be isolated you might be able to have some gain some confidence or get some tools to use when you're having tough conversations and you can talk about it freely in the comfort of your demographic that you're in but I do think um, supplementing that with the world because uh, that's how we're having to operate um, that will balance you out quite a bit
0: hmm. and was most of your work in research down in the U.S. Karen
1: most of it was. Um, it was about an 80-20 split, 80% the US and 20 in mm-hmm. other countries.
0: And do you notice any pattern there? Is it is it how is it how is it different, if any, US compared yeah. to non-US?
1: It does um, vary based on, and this is very stereotypical, right? But based yeah. on the general cultures of the countries. Um, for instance, you know, in America, we're known as being a bit more out there and brash, um, as compared to some of your uh, Asian cultures that are more reserved. You know, and based on the cultures, some um, areas people weren't quite as skilled in, uh, as compared to others. Like for instance, in the um, in the Asian high potentials in general. Um, they scored a little bit less on stakeholder savvy uh, versus uh, intellectual horsepower. A lot of them were able to bring forward um, improvements They're They're very focused on that uh, in general, not everybody, yeah. but in general. Yeah. So yes, it did vary based on uh, countries and cultures and values.
0: Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I'm gonna maybe put a little bit of pressure on here for you. Hope you don't mind. Um, I'm interested in Karen's perspective here. Let's say I come to you as an executive and I'm I'm doing well. I'm in the top three to 5%, but I have aspirations for a different role, different sector. So it would would take me outside my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And when I think about my comfort zone, immediately Mr. or Mrs. Imposter syndrome kicks in. Mr. or Mrs. What? Imposter syndrome kicks in.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: That that kicks in because I'm about to extend myself. And, yeah. and we have a, a two-minute elevator ride where I'm trying to download Karen's experience in two minutes. So I'm, I'm acknowledging there's more to it. And I know the answer is it depends. But if you had to give me some advice on how I might address the imposter syndrome as I apply for this new role that's outside my comfort zone, based on your own experience, what top two or three tactics would you share with me?
3: Um, one tactic I would say is that
1: if you can think of some sort of connection with the person that you're going to go talk to, Mm -hmm. um, that is a priority for them. I would start say, make sure that you start the conversation with wanting to, um, talk to him about him or her about something that is of top priority for them. That's the first way to kind of catch their attention to Mm -hmm. buy you a few more minutes of conversation. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. Um, The other thing I would uh, recommend is an affirmation around um, positively, I always say me personally for myself, there's nothing short of murder that we can't course correct or do. And so since that's the case, why don't you just go for it, you know? Okay. So um, I would try to help them give some type of self-affirmations to get up the courage to have the conversation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then, um, so that would be your stakeholder savvy and your courageous agility. And then I'd probably recommend a bit of ex- executive presence where you summon up the grit, to um make your presentation or your argument or your conversation in a way that's meaningful to them Mm -hmm. who you're talking to and that's going to really make a difference and make it worth their while, Mm -hmm. earn the right to be heard that's what we always try to uh reiterate to our participants you got to earn that right to be heard
0: which is interesting isn't it given some of our some of the activism that's going on that you know, yeah. we have the right anyway. So I mean, I'm interested in that distinction. You you you're suggesting that on one hand, I need to earn the right. You
3: mm-hmm.
0: do, yeah. Whereas there is there is some there is an a counter view the fact that I'm an employee or I'm a leader, I've got the right. That is a
3: counter uh, perspective. What, what,
0: would you, what, what would you? How would you? What would you say the difference is, if there is any? Earn the
1: right. In my opinion, earning the right is creating enough value that differentiates you that that they want to listen more to more to you. Having the right, in my opinion, deals more on company values and cultures. Do they create the environment that gives you the right to step forward Mm -hmm. and to get recognized and to do this? If they don't, you know, then what? So that's, that's how I see it as being different.
0: Okay. And do you, do you sense that earning the right to be heard is up, across, down, out?
1: All of the above, up, down, and across the organization.
0: <laughs> so you know the question I'm going to ask now, how would you differentiate between earning the right above? So let's say I'm a CEO and I'm reporting to a board. How would you differentiate the earn the right capability to be heard at the board level versus earn the right to perhaps have my employees be heard so I'm hearing them?
1: I actually think the same process happens for all three. You have to focus your conversations around what's meaningful, impactful, and worthy of their time for whoever you're talking to. Mm-hmm. I personally don't think that you have the right to go and present to a board level if it's not a topic or something that you're capable asked to, to do. That's not someone's just right to be there. However, whoever you're trying to work with, whether it's your, you know, sweet or board, your peers in the company or your direct report, you're going to have to talk in a way that's always meaningful for them and find that win-win
3: conversation. Hmm. that means you have to do the work you know yeah what's the work
0: they have to do
1: in understanding you're not going to know what is pete's number one uh, work priority or what's their number one challenge that maybe i can help with if you never had a conversation with pete sure. so if you know that there are colleagues that are in your um sphere if you will that you all have entered dependencies, it's mm-hmm. worth the time to take, to build even some, you know, entry-level relationships with these individuals mm-hmm. so that, you, you know, you're gonna be able to assess better um, what their priorities are. Because once you know that, then um, you're able to kind of navigate it helps give you data you're not going to be perfect everybody's there's not a perfect way to execute all these yeah. but at least you'll have better tools in your toolbox and have a better acumen on how to address things like really hard conversations or when yeah. um you get pushed back you know those types of
0: issues yeah um this might be a cheeky question karen so forgive me um ha- have you done your own assessment? I
1: have
0: done my own assessment. Okay, So I'm not gonna embarrass you to say whether you were in the top three or 5% or not, Um, (laughs) but I'm interested of the seven tactics that you said, I'm Mm -hmm. interested, which ones did you find, I don't mean easy as in it was easy, but more natural for you because that's more your style and your way of being, versus which ones did you find more challenging for you? Great
1: question. the I love the whole leading with intellectual horsepower.
2: Okay.
1: When I am a voracious reader, researcher, um, consumer of data, information, articles, you know, and I try to my mind the way my mind works, it tries to connect dots around <laughs> uh, with different things that I've read, and you know, seeing how I would I would guess trends would be. Uh, that's just how my mind works uh where i struggle and i don't mind sharing is around courageous agility uh, i am so much of a people person um very emotional that i my innate nature is not to want to disappoint anyone yeah. and being in leadership roles are just sometimes that disappointment uh, comes with the territory so yeah. that's what i continuously struggle in but um I always try to strive to be better every day.
0: And how do you manage your own imposter syndrome when it kicks in?
1: I have a variety of things. I have um, a playlist with um, (laughs) some kick kick you in the butt kind of songs to pick you back up and get back in there. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I do that. And sometimes I do meditation. And honestly, sometimes I just have to talk to myself and say, hey, let's do it.
0: Um, Karen, where can people get hold of you if they're interested? I know you've got some websites and some book options. Yes,
1: absolutely. So, our central place for um, everything you probably need is at shockinglydifferent.com. Um, we have our leadership program there. Um, we also have a leader network for advanced leaders that are not yet in the C suite. It's called Notable. Mm-hmm. So, if you're interested in joining this network, uh, you can check us out there. Thank you so much for allowing
0: me to share, Pete. That's all right. We'll put them in the show notes as well, Karen. Um, <laughs> I may just close, first of all, by saying thank you for your time and sharing not just the research and the tactics, but your own particular experience and nuance in that. Um, yeah. And just to close us off with some hopefully lighthearted questions. Are you okay. more beach or city?
1: Oh, I'm a city gal.
0: City gal, okay. Yes. Um what's the last movie you cried at?
1: Oh, we just saw um, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Oh, okay. So the whole Chad Boseman yep. scene, Chad yep. be crying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry to bring that back for you. <laughs> okay. um, is, there, is there a leadership author that you most admire or respect?
3: You know what, Pete, I get a nugget out of almost every book that
1: I do read. Um, I always love uh, The Leadership Challenge by Kuznay's and Posner. So mm-hmm. it's the leadership round. That's one I would definitely recommend.
0: Okay. And what book are you reading now?
1: Actually, I'm not reading a book. I have a collection of podcasts and articles and authors that I listen to, and i I use that as my uh, information consumption right now.
0: Okay. Karen, it's been a pleasure, and it's been lovely to connect all the way around the world. Um, Appreciate your insights. Thank you for sharing those insights. But more importantly, thank you for sharing yourself.
3: Oh, thank you. And thank you for having me.
0: You're welcome.